1: one point five UMFM. This is thank God it's free range. The Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Loves and kicking things off for us tonight. That is Australian act Ocean Alley with their new single Deepest Darkness. That band comes to town on June twentieth, playing the Park Theatre. And uh, fingers crossed, we might have them on the phone next week, and uh, we'll have that on next Friday, the seventeenth, if it happens. Uh, however, I can speak to what has already happened. Earlier this week, I spoke to Tanika Charles. Charles is uh, bringing her latest album Papillon de Nuit to the jazz festival playing the King's Head on Friday the 17th at 8.30 p.m. And uh, so we talked. I also spoke to New Orleans jazz trio Extended. Uh, They're on the road right now, sadly not coming to Winnipeg, but uh, we've played some stuff from Without Notice, and we'll get into that a little later. Uh, So coming up after this next track, we will have my interview with Tanika Charles. We've got some great new music for you. playing after Tanika at the King's Head, Friday, June 17th at 10.30 p.m., fellow Jazz Fest performer, Witch Prophet. This is from DNA Activation, uh, one of the albums I voted for for the Player's Prize in 2020. Uh, This is Makda here on 101.5 UMFM. Well, her latest album is called "Papillon de Nuit." Tanika Charles is coming to the Winnipeg Jazz Festival, and she joins us on the line. Welcome to the show, Tanika.
2: Hi, happy to be here.
1: Happy to have you on, and happy to talk about this this new record. Now, hey, uh, great. This is this is the third record, and and I know in talking to artists, you know, you have your whole lifetime to make your first record, then you have about two years to make the sophomore record. What's the yes. like mindset or process for, for a third record? Like after you kind of get over that hump of the. Making that second record?
2: Well, the process uh, of making a third. Okay, so it's kind of difficult because this was created during a very difficult time. Mm. Um, the past uh, two years, during, perhaps? Exactly. And it was actually quite difficult to want to move forward with recording a whole new project because I just, you know, mentally wasn't in the best place. Mm-hmm. There was no motivation, there was no inspiration. So, um I thought that maybe my last album, The Gumption, would have been it, but I managed to, you know, connect with some excellent producers and a really great group of friends that write, and you know, the the joy, I guess, of of creating a project came back uh, with great difficulty, but we managed to get it done. So I guess the process is just kind of getting into a uh, a mindset and um, I don't know, like a like an energy to want to to do something because it was such a dark period. Right. Now was
1: was that mindset like a whole new mindset or was it kind of returning to a mindset you'd been in for, for the prior two records?
2: It was definitely, um, I, I know I keep kind of not keep mentioning, but I have to, you know, address that it was two years of stagnant energy. It was two years of, you know, witnessing just everything kind of falling, up, falling apart. And then, you know, I wanted to be happy and I'm happiest when I'm writing and creating. So once that kind of, um, I'm going to use the word energy so much, but sure. once that kind of pattern, once that kind of vibe started getting back into like my, my bones, it was, it was, it was go, it was go time.
1: So how did you recover that vibe when you say, you know, got it back in your veins? Like what was it connecting with these, these collaborators or was there something kind of like internally One, that happened or just a
2: combo? Yeah, it was at all of that. Um, I wanted to actually do whatever the heck I wanted to do for this next album. I'm I'm with an Italian label at the moment and it's a very niche label. And while I love horns and I love the big band, I'm, I'm totally into that that sound, um, I just wanted to try something a little bit different. And I was introduced to some local uh, musicians, and they were just, they had a sound that really kind of sparked some some life. And there was content that I could write to. So what I wanted to do is, you know, there were a lot of things that were addressed that were kind of sad, but I wanted to put it over, you know, beautiful music, I guess you can say. Right. So when connecting with these guys, and then um, I normally write with Robert Bolton. I've been writing with him since Soul Run, and um, I've recently connected with a new artist. His name is Tafari Anthony. These, collaborating with them just really kind of jolted something in me. On top of meeting these amazing producers, so it just it, it it just felt good to want to be in the studio again. Um, yeah, I yeah. guess that's the best way. I feel like I'm just babbling.
1: Like, don't crazy. sweat it. I read <laughs> I read an interview you did with Albumism where you you worry about your how you do in interviews, but I I, I, I want to treat I want to treat this more of a conversation than an interview. So I hope you feel comfortable, just kind of.
3: I do. Veering and, Thank and, you.
1: and kind of, if you want to take a, like, a, like conversational cul-de-sac, I'm ready to drive down that <laughs> road with you. Uh, Thank you. Of course. Now, the you mentioned record kicks. I mean, obviously, that you know, there's, like, kind of a throwback soul vibe to that label and wanting mm. to kind of move away from the horns. I know you're a big music listener. Was that something kind of coming out of who you listen to and who who you're responding to? Or was that like an internal push to like veer away from that in, in kind of recognition of where you were at at that time?
2: So it's interesting because I didn't even not want, but this genre was something that was kind of thrown at me in a, in a weird kind of way, not thrown at me. Like, of course I've listened to Charles and, Um, Sharon Jones and yes, I I understand that feeling. I understand that sound. I think it's amazing. Normally I listen to Radiohead. I listen to uh, like Bob James. I listen to everything that I don't sing. (laughs) You know? Um, I wanted to I'm not saying that the throwback isn't solved. There was just, I think I wanted to lean more into moodier kind of R&B. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's on this album at all. No, <laughs> I it... think maybe there's a couple of songs on there because I still wanted to, you know, let uh, make songs that people were familiar with, with Tanika Charles. So while I was kind of wanting to veer away from it just a little bit, I thought, I'm just going to sing and write to everything that I love. And it might sound like a mishmash on the album, but at that point, after two years of just, like, doing nothing, I didn't care. And somehow it all made sense. And yet there's a bunch of songs on there that have horns. Actually, most of them do. Um, I wanted to have an album that was rich in vocals, uh, call and response. Um, I just really wanted to do whatever I wanted to do.
1: You brought in outside collaborators, like, in terms of on- on the actual tracks too right like this is if i'm not mistaken like djsb and, and carrie mcclellan's are yeah. the first kind of like featuring credits yes was that a just byproduct of wanting to work with people after being shut in for a while or no
2: absolutely not that was like why don't you try working with other people or featuring other people because it's always just been you know writing a bunch of songs and kind of putting it out there but um Kari, I've worked with for a while. Like we, he he has a play called Freedom Singer, and we just work incredibly well together. Um, I was I I was a recipient of the NAC kind of like uh, I can't remember the term. It's
1: was it like an artist in residence thing.
2: Uh, exactly that. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, I'd asked Kari to come along with me because you know when we're on tour together, we'll just. Sit in the back room and create music. Just start writing and have a really great time. So I felt comfortable um, bringing him along with me, and we wrote five songs in a week. Um, so out of one of those songs, I was like, "You know what? I'm going to put this on the album because it's a lot of fun." And Deja, I've been following for quite some time. They are just so prolific. I guess you can say. Yeah. Um, I hilarious just good vibes. And when I sent a message to them, the response, I wasn't expecting to even get a reply. It was, yes, let's do this together. And it just turned out perfectly. Um, I'd sent the song, they listened and sent it back and it just, it all made sense. Um, Now don't get me wrong. I have reached out to a few people, uh, but you know, I think I was really shooting for the stars. But <laughs> mm. um, I thought, let's see, let me just shoot my shot. And if someone gets back to me, that would be great. And if not, I tried. But I'm very pleased with working with Deja, SB, and Kari. And I would
1: do it again. So, Kari, you obviously had a relationship built up with past experience and had probably a sense of kind of what you'd get out of him. With Deja, mm-hmm. like, did you give them carte blanche in terms of like, here's the song, figure out what you want to do on it? Or did you give Basically. any
2: direction? Yeah, basically, that's it. You have full control over what you want to write about. And the material was just so on point. It couldn't have been any better. It was it was great. And I had a feeling that Deja would, would know what to write. Um, there was no pressure. There was no stress. There wasn't even a timeline. It was sent. They sent it back within days, and it just worked out perfectly. Mm-hmm. I prefer that, you know? There are, you know, I like to work with musicians that, sure, if you're you're classically trained, that's amazing. But I prefer just like natural, you know, feeling and soul and just kind of this is who you are. This is what you do. I don't like to put a lot of pressure on people.
1: Is that because there's kind of like an innate like getting it versus like working it out?
2: Yeah. Oh, are you asking?
1: Yeah, I'm asking. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, okay.
1: Because <laughs> you said you prefer to work, you know, with 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 people maybe who aren't necessarily like classically trained or something. Because a lot of times it's like more of an intellectual exercise or like a a math problem, right? Versus you know, it's just like a resonance.
2: Right. So I have I have um, this guy that I play with. His name is. I mean, my whole band is like this, but um, his name is Ben Florin, and Ben. In taught himself at a young age to play guitar. And the way he plays this guitar and the chords that he comes up with and the way he makes it sing. I'm not saying he wouldn't learn that if he went to school for it, but I just feel like there's a different, like it's in him and it just feels more like there's more passion to it. Mind you, I could and I could be putting my foot in my mouth here, but I just feel like when it's in you, like you've, you've taught yourself, you've, you knew that this is what you wanted to do in life, and you worked at it, and you took the time. I don't know. It just feels like there's more love in it. I could be wrong.
1: No, it's interesting because it, you, uh, it, I, I was just thinking when you're talking about, you know, sort of self-taught guitarists, Yasmin Williams, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but uh, she's out of out of like uh, the eastern states. She taught herself after playing guitar hero, and like her style is kind of based on like holding the guitar flat across her lap, like like a guitar hero player would. And uh, it, what's funny in terms of just thinking about this is I remember during uh, Black History Month we shared recommendations of albums of Black Joy and your album. Uh, you know, and it was about to come out, so we shared. We shared that, but I also shared the Yasmin Williams record, and just
2: wow,
1: just made me think of that. Uh,
2: just first of all, thank you, and second of all, that's what I'm talking about. Just that's fascinating. That's how you taught yourself how to play guitar, and is Yasmin amazing? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like a passion. It's just inside your body, and you just want to learn. And then you can just take it. To you know these magical places. It's I don't know how to put it into words. I just think it's just spectacular.
1: Well, in terms of having difficulty putting things into words, I am going to ask you about kind of like writing a song of or writing an album full of black joy during a period in which it maybe was much more difficult to find joy.
2: Mm-hmm. You're not wrong. Um, there were a couple of songs that we we didn't use where it was you know we were talking about being in a pandemic and just being in touch with others. And I didn't want to listen to that album or this album years down the road and then be reminded of that time. Um, there was so much turmoil happening. And while there was a lot that I could have written about, it was just too painful. So I normally fall back onto writing about just interactions and relationships relationships with others. I, I just find it easier to write to and everybody or I'm hoping that most people can relate to, you know, a lot of the content that I've written, but, um, there were quite a few songs that were, that were written in its entirety, but then I just thought, no, 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 I don't know if I'm ready to, to release that right now, maybe a little bit later down the line. If I, you know, happen to create another album, I don't know. Um, because, you know, when you write, it takes you back to a moment and, I, I I honestly have to say, like, I, I don't, I didn't love it. I didn't love that time. I didn't enjoy being, like, depressed.
1: Right. And it's then performing feeling. it, I have to imagine you maybe tap back into those feelings and, and don't necessarily want to go back there for that reason either.
2: Exactly that. Um, you know, some people write and then they, it's therapeutic for them. I I cry for everything <laughs> and easily. So, you know, and that takes me time to recover from that. So I get it. Like, you know, people want to kind of experience what you went through or they at least want to know. And I just don't think I have the capacity to do that right now. And I don't think I would have it for a while. I can't even tell you how difficult that period was. And I feel like it's I'm just seeing the forest through the trees, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. you mentioned Bob James earlier and I yeah. read an interview that you did where you said your dad would come home and put on records and yeah. sit you down and say like do you hear what the horns are doing do you hear, do you see what key this is in and Bob James was one of the ones he would play
3: mm-hmm.
1: and then subsequent to that your dad is kind of your sounding board and was your sounding board for this record and let you know kind of when a song was hitting
2: absolutely that man is like my biggest champion as well as like my greatest love. I, he can hear when notes are flat and notes are wrong. And, you know, why don't you try playing something, playing the guitar this way or add a little more of that. He was just so um, integral in this, in this process. And um, I really don't think I could have done it without him. Uh, Just, Even growing up listening to music, I had no idea that singing was something that I was going to have as a career. Not once. Um, But I am so grateful to my father for, you know, kind of implementing music into the home daily or when he was home from work because he loves music so much. He, to this day, will sit on a couch. And now he drinks lemon water, not so much like a rum and coke like he used to back in the day. But he would sit down and um, just for hours listen to jazz. And I go home often. I go to Edmonton quite a bit. um, And I really enjoy sitting with him, even to this day, because it's just memories of when I was a child. So, um, And he's still just as excited about music as he was so many years ago. Uh, Yeah, my dad's like the greatest
1: man to me. And it sounded like he was at least, you know, he, not necessarily your fiercest critic, but at least like willing to provide you, you know, critical feedback to say, no, this isn't, the song's not right yet. Yep. Yeah.
2: yeah. Absolutely.
1: I have to imagine um, having someone who you know is in your corner, but is also willing to like tell you what it is. That's maybe one of the like most critical people to have in your life.
2: <laughs> you know, I, When Soul Run first uh, came out, I sent it to my dad and he's like, "Mm, I like one song, one song out of all of those songs. He's like, yeah, I'm not too crazy about these ones. This is my favorite song. And it's the the last song on the album. Um, And then when the gumption came out, you know, he was like, yeah, it's okay." When I finished the first song on Papillon de Nuit. And I sent it to him, I think it was a million ways. And the first thing he said to me was, "This song is beautiful. this is it. There's nothing else that needs to be done." And so of course, I was like, "Yes, he's gonna like all the other songs I'm, I'm on a roll. like I was so proud because he absolutely loved the song right from the beginning. So then I sent him another, another song, and it was frustrated, and this song was you know a thorn in my side because I kept hearing things that I didn't know how to to explain to the producers or um, my engineer that i needed to hear but i don't read music and i don't speak the language i kind of just sing things out and hope that everybody understands what i'm trying to say right um and i would send this song to my dad i think i must have sent it to different versions of it like six times and at the sixth pass he's like okay the song is ready to go um And I loved doing that with him because I'm not with him all the time. My dad's in his 70s, still like, you know, bright and moving around. He's 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 totally active. But the experience of sharing this creation, this this album with him, uh, like it's it's one of my, or going to be one of my best memories. You know, I really truly love this album. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm proud of it. But I'm proud of it because my dad is proud of it and proud of me for, like, I guess, advancing in a way. Um, He just said the material is great. The music is spectacular. I'm very proud of you. So, of course, naturally, I'm going to I'm proud. And that's really difficult to say because I'm just such a harsh critic of myself.
1: So this is like the record he he heard in you and wanted to to eventually hear like the whole of, right? Like you said, you said like one song in the first record and like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I can see some progress on the gumption, but this is, this is the UStu. This is it. Yeah. You
2: know, um, oh man. Yeah. I'm just thinking of like what I, you know, writing this album and, and I was listening to a lot of Yebba. I listen to Yabba so much because she sings her pain so beautifully. Hmm. And the, the, I guess the issues that I I find that I have are, um, you know, singing in the studio is not nearly as exciting as singing to a crowd and having to pull emotions into a microphone looking at a wall. Mm -hmm. I just, it's, I'm not really the best uh, studio singer. It takes a lot for me to feel something in the studio. And there was a lot of material that, you know, um, like, the people that I'd worked with, certain people that I've worked with, some of the, the music is about them, you know? So, being in the same room as the person that I'm singing about, that's difficult as well. Um, it's, it, was, it, was, it was definitely a journey. It's definitely a journey, uh, that, that album.
1: For sure. Well, the upside yeah. of you coming to Jazz Fest means you'll be singing in front of a crowd, which I think it sounds like you much prefer in terms of drawing energy uh, and vibing.
2: Yes, and I can't wait. I love Winnipeg. Oh, my gosh.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Before I let you go, Tanika, I want to get you to pick a track off of Papillon de Nuit that we can play for listeners, and if you have a reason why you're picking it or an anecdote about the song, I'd love to hear that.
2: Sure. I feel like uh, my favorite song, I think, is A Million Ways. And it's basically like an ode to, to to love and loving, and it's a ballad of just just describing how you feel about someone or God or yourself or whomever. It's it's just a beautiful ballad of love.
1: All right. Well, we'll give that one a listen. Tanika, <laughs> thanks very much for taking some time, and uh, looking forward to having you here in Winnipeg.
2: Can't wait, and thank you for having me.
1: Some selections off of without notice from extended and uh, joining me on the line to talk about the band and about the album is a drummer brad webb uh welcome to the show
4: hey michael man thank you for having me really appreciate
1: it my my pleasure a uh, big fan of the record and, and so excited to get the chance to talk to you. you guys are listed as new orleans based on all all your media and i'm curious like in terms of Genesis like did you all come from around the area or did you like all end up in New Orleans and meet each other
4: we all ended up in New Orleans and met each other that way I'm I'm the closest um, I'm actually born and raised in uh, Lafayette Louisiana okay um, it's probably about like two and a half hours west of New Orleans which we're actually coming up to right now on our way to Austin right Um, I'm gonna wave to my folks on the highway um, Oscar is, uh, Oscar's from Honduras, um, came to the States and came to Baton Rouge, Louisiana to go to LSU, where he met some kind of, uh, some musicians that we all know a little bit. And it wasn't long before he started making the trek over to new Orleans. Um, I think at this point, maybe about six, seven years ago, something like that. Um, I've been in new Orleans for about 12 years now. Mm -hmm. Um, Matt's kind of the newest Matt's, uh, born and raised in, uh, Northern Virginia and then moved to new Orleans from Pittsburgh where he went to college. Um, so he was in Pittsburgh for about a decade before kind of coming to new Orleans. Um, basically just not too long before we started this band.
1: So you're obviously from, from closest new Orleans. Is this kind of a situation where you're like moving to the big city?
4: Um, Kind of not really. I went to university in Boston. Okay. So, I had kind of so you had gotten out. No- I had gotten out uh, and went to went to Boston, spent a little time in New York, just kind of traveling and doing the Northeast Corridor um, thing. And then if I had to admit it now as an adult, a little bit was that I was a little intimidated by the idea of moving to New York right. and pursuing a career in music. Um, kind of the same with L.A., Boston wasn't really that much of a scene. It was one of those that if you're going to try to pursue a career in Boston, you might as well just move to New York. Like, mm-hmm. where are you kidding? Um, but I was also a little bit homesick. Um, I, I had a community of guys that I grew up with that were already back in New Orleans playing music. So for me at that time, it made made sense to to, to kind of move closer home.
1: And that community that you, you had back, back in New Orleans, like similar – in terms of like sonically or, or kind of creatively like, was that because I feel like this band, you know, when, when you read it from new Orleans, it doesn't necessarily like sound like a new Orleans jazz act, right? Like, I mean, obviously we have our kind of like preservation hall kind of like notions of, of what new Orleans jazz is, but this has kind of almost the like Scandinavian piano trio kind of right. Like, like that, Mm -hmm. some, some pristine and austere kind of notes to it. Uh, I mean, there's definitely some fun, to be had on on the record, but, cool. but I, I, it, it it doesn't necessarily say this is a New Orleans trio.
4: No, and and that now, that wasn't something we we set out to do. Mm-hmm. I think that's just because of all of our backgrounds. Um, to answer the first question, yeah, like it was it was like-minded creators, not necessarily mm-hmm. a type of music. I didn't move to New Orleans because I wanted to be the, the greasiest, funkiest cat, or mm-hmm. like the most uh authentic kind of traditional old old new old jazz old new orleans jazz player um and i and i didn't move back to like pursue a career as a zodico or cajun drummer although i've been able to play all that music and living in new orleans you end up playing all of that music um for me personally at that time and i'd say even with me matt and oscar it's it's been about finding like-minded creators. Right. Um, you know, I, what brought me to Boston was classical music. I was a classical music percussionist, um, Oscar studied classical music, um, back in Honduras. And that's what brought him to Baton Rouge as well. Although both he and I also have a you know huge appreciation and love for jazz. He probably more so even than me, Matt came up just like, absorbing any record that his dad put in front of him and has listened to so much music and back in Pittsburgh kind of played more electric bass um and has a little bit more of an appreciation and knowledge of like rock music rock history pop music
1: right so then more
4: jazz new jazz he just kind of knows a lot of everything
1: was there a, a particular kind of sound or idea that connected the three of you when you first met like what what suggested you three should be together as this trio extended
4: um it was it was our relationship it was the comfort and the freedom that we had that first time that we played together um it was it was booked as a brad webb trio gig i had had maybe about four or five tunes that i had written that didn't really fit my quintet that i was working with at the time Mm
3: -hmm.
4: and i I had meet, recently met Matt just on a jazz gig that we had done. We both gotten called by the band leader. We didn't know each other at the time. Um, I had known Oscar because of you know the connection with Baton Rouge and a couple of the musicians out there. And like I said, it was it was supposed to just be my trio gig. Like I wanted to do a piano trio gig. Called these guys. We rehearsed once, and once we played the gig, it was kind of from note one. Man, it just it felt. It it, For me, it immediately felt more than just myself and the music very quickly became not just mine and that freedom to just like create and do whatever we wanted to do and the amount of trust that we had in one another, even though personally we didn't know each other all super well and musically we didn't know each other at all. Um, It was kind of obvious from that moment on that it was like, yeah, this is something we should we should invest some time and energy in.
1: for sure. Now the new record without notice, the tracks are relatively evenly split amongst writing credits.
4: Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Is that purposeful or does that just kind of, is that how things sorted out? Like what's no,
4: that, that, that's just how it's sorted out. I mean, all, all three of us are composers. All three of us kind of identify, not just as artists and performers, but as composers as well. And it's been, we have played music that isn't ours in this band before although no we haven't recorded any of it right so it's not like a we're not dying on that shield that like all the music we have to play is written by us but it is kind of a an ethos of the band that like we approach this as composers and arrangers and creators um and so yeah th- this album yeah that i didn't actually realize it was it was quite that evenly split that was just kind of by happenstance.
1: Right. Yeah. So, so in a circumstance like that, like do you bring it the, the bed of a track or like, do you bring like a fully charted kind of work to the rest of the group and, and say, here's, here's what we're doing or this is what I see us doing on this track or like, how does that so us so out for you guys?
4: Um, I'd, I'd stay over, over like the six year relationship that we've had in, in this band that's changed a little bit. I, I think it's different depending on which one of us you talk to. Um, I, I have like a certain writing style um, or I have kind of some trends um, in terms of just how I write. I, I don't write a lot of information. I, I, I trust Oscar to kind of fill in certain gaps and he knows the music that I like. As, as a, a classical musician, he knows where some of my references are coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also trust Matt to make kind of some base note choices um, and vice versa, they'll give me some rhythmic choices. Um, I, I it, yeah, it, it varies because I've even come in with some complete tunes where like, this is the tune, both, of both any of us at any point in time have the freedom and are encouraged to make suggestions on one another's tunes. The moment we bring something into rehearsal, it's no longer just mine or just Matt's or just Oscar's.
3: Right. Um,
4: but I'd say it's coming in with maybe complete ideas or fragments. And um, yeah, that it kind of just depends. Um, each one of us has brought in complete tunes, and each one of us has brought in just some sound sketches and just some jots on a on a piece of paper, mm-hmm. and both of which have ended up on records. So,
1: yeah, like I'm thinking of a track like "Impairment Process" that Matt wrote, and mm-hmm. you, and you're doing some pretty pretty wild stuff on the drums at times, and. I'm curious. Like, did he kind of plant that seed, or give you that that space to figure it out yourself? Like, what? Like, is is it kind of in in reaction to to what Oscar's doing on the piano, and like kind of providing um, a counterpoint?
4: It's funny. man. I, I remember the. I can. I, I'm like. I can picture us in the rehearsal when we first started playing *Impairment Process*. Um, what I was doing on the drums kind of came out of at that time. I was listening to. A lot of like breakbeat and and like old uk jungle music Mm. and we kind of like matt matt was like here here's this section i want oscar you to you know to double double this line on the bass and i was like hey man i'm gonna try something if it's cool and he was just like yeah sure like that's once again that's kind of like encouraged with the three of us Mm -hmm. and it was kind of this like attempt at playing some like metallicy, beady kind of things. And then it was like, oh yeah, that's cool. Like that. And then it just kind of kept going from there and we would just keep trying different things. The th- Oscar's right hand was just him. I think that kind kind of came from him learning he was working on something, uh, some classical music repertoire. and it just kind of had this line like uh, something similar to that in terms of its contour. And so in rehearsal, it, that's just what he was kind of feeling at the time, and and threw that on top of it. We were all like, "Oh, dude, that's cool too. You should, yeah, you should suss that out because that's rad."
1: So you went back to to the UK sounds uh, from like like early aughts uh, for, for the drumming on that. You went back to the '90s on uh, Central Standard.
4: <laughs> yeah.
1: Was this um, just a product of stuff you were listening to, and you were kind of like? pulling pulling up threads of, of like drumming techniques from from the past and stuff you were listening to or like was was there an intentionality so, to some of this
4: um intention in the compositions yeah but intention in terms of like what I'm hearing and what I would like to compose um probably less so a little bit more spontaneous in that regards um I, I, I think for me of composition is Um, You know, I hear something in my head and where like the academic side of going to school and learning techniques and learning harmony and theory and all that stuff is really just a tool and a mechanism to get the sounds we hear inside our head so that way I could communicate it with my bandmates in the most in the easiest most efficient way possible so that way hopefully what transpires is something close to what I hear in my head that's how I think about composition and in terms of uh, so, yes, yeah, so I might just be listening to something um, or watching something or experiencing something and it'll plant a seed in my head, maybe something like that. Right. Um, but I didn't write Central Standard as like an homage to 90s hip hop or 90s music um, in the same way that I wasn't actively like looking for an opportunity to play breakbeat. On a specific tune, it was more that, you know, the freedom that this trio gives allows us to just like be our like our most true and honest self at that moment. So at the moment of that rehearsal or at the moment that I was writing that tune, I was hopefully, you know, my goal is to be the most aware of where I'm at personally and musically at that time. And then hopefully that that's the same thing with the three of us is that we're all very sensitive and aware and open to each other and allow whoever each one of us is at that moment to come out because that's the the best and most honest version of each one of us is who we are at that moment.
1: When you're trying to accommodate that, that purpose or, or pursuit of, you know, everyone kind of achieving their, their truest selves and everyone's bringing music to the, the table and you know like we said there's pretty evenly split amongst the the compositions do you give thought to how the album hangs together like that is it just because it's all three of you that it's going to hang together because it represents all of you or do you like give thought to like "Mm, is this song gelling with the rest of the songs when you're you know sequencing a record
4: um yes and no Mm. i mean Yeah, like, we, there were other tunes that we also had that didn't make the record because we wanted the record to feel continuous. As far as who wrote it, that didn't really play into it. Um, Because I think now that we're mentioning it, like, I think on our first record, I wrote half the tunes and then the other half were split between Matt and Oscar. But that's not something we really think about. We just think about the batch of music that we have. And... um. And does it work kind of as a record? All all of us are fans of albums. And we feel, we still feel very strongly that even though most people still listen to music maybe in single form or in a streaming situation, we still like the idea of an album. So we still take precious care of that presentation and that medium. Um, But as far as, um, yeah, I, I, it's gonna sound like us because we've been we've been at it for a few years and we've learned how to create with one another. Um, so yeah, I don't know if we necessarily pay too too much attention to that. Like it will sound like us, and hopefully it sounds like us because in no part of this band's history have we ever not just tried to be ourselves um, and champion each other to be the best version of each of of ourselves as well. Um, yeah, I haven't really thought of that too, too much, but yeah, I, 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 we just let that be, you know, and hopefully people like that.
1: It it definitely sounds like the right dynamic for at least a healthy band in terms of, you know, you all feeling tied in and that you're, you're getting to do what you want to do. So, I mean, at the very least, even if it's not about the music, it's about kind of the interpersonal relationship that 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 engenders.
4: Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's, yeah. And I'd I'd, I'd be hard pressed to find a band that sticks around long enough without having like a healthy relationship as people. And I, I think, I'm not gonna speak for Matt and Oscar, but I think the music benefits from the fact that we all have like a deep respect for each other. I'm a fan of Oscar. I'm a fan of Matt They're in other projects that I'm not a drummer for. They hire other drummers and I'm a big fan of that as well, you know, and vice versa. Like, you know, we play in each other's music, and we're all, we're all fans of each other and we have a deep respect for each other in that regards. And yeah, I mean, it, it can only make the music better.
1: Right. Right. Before I let you go, I want to get you to pick a track off the record that we can play for listeners. And if you have a reason why you're picking that song or an anecdote about it, we'd love to hear that.
4: Um, Oh yeah this is this is my favorite not just because not because I wrote it uh, just but uh the first track off the record prominent Randy um, there's a few reasons why, why why I'll pick this one one the story behind the name of the tune is hilarious um, it's the Randy is my ex's dog mm. um, Randy is a dachshund and Randy Randy's a punk Randy sucks Um <laughs> Randy little little dog syndrome little dog syndrome man for sure and he knows it too um he used to he he used to vomit every time we would have rehearsal (laughs) and like he would get upset like he would get physically upset at the notion that we were making music while he was supposed to be napping on the couch and he would get off the couch and look at you like really dude you gonna do this right now He's like, all right, well, you know what I'm going to do, right? And he would go walk down the hallway, and at the end of rehearsal, I'd go, and sure enough, he, like, puked under the best. It's like, Jesus Christ, bud. Um, I was playing – I composed mostly on piano, and I was composing what ended up being the – what ended up being Prominent Randy. And it was just, like, the one time he didn't, like, run away in disgust. So Randy got his own tune. Strictly because he just doesn't like doesn't hate it as much as all the other music I've made. Again, it
1: wasn't I'm talking written, about a dachshund. It wasn't written it's for ridiculous. him, though, right?
4: It wasn't written for him. I want to make that very clear.
1: Okay. It wasn't like he knew get, you were writing a song yeah, for him. Finally, and after no, like puking and disgust at no. everything else. Okay.
4: Yeah, yeah. I don't want him to take any pleasure from this if he's out there listening. <laughs> um, the other music, the cool music thing about. Hello. Oh, you still there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, The other cool music thing about it is um, I was kind of getting stuck in my own head with, with playing, listening or trying to play that tune. We were trying to come up with different ideas of how to start it. Should it be a drum solo? Should it be a bass solo? Should it be this? And Oscar was like, man, we're getting in our own heads. Let's just play. And we kind of started to just play and, and just be, in the in the studio and just make sounds and just create rhythms and about a minute in i didn't realize we were actually rolling i thought we were just like free it was like without without the pressure of the tape i thought we were just kind of playing and i almost stopped us so be like hey guys let's all right let's start rolling now and then i kind of looked up and realized that that we were rolling and so this take on the studio about the first minute, I don't actually know we're rolling, and I thought we were just kind of trying new things and trying a new idea and trying to bring some freshness to the tune that we were getting stuck in the studio with. And uh, lo and behold, it actually ended up being the final take on the record.
1: And the first track, and I'm in pretty the end.
4: proud of that moment. Yeah, and 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 just because of the energy and the and the freedom and the and the joyfulness that that track has, it it made sense for it just to open the record. You know, if it's a if it's going to be the first thing somebody listens to, um, we felt like it was a good representation of, of us as a band.
1: Right on. Well, uh, we'll give that one a listen. I encourage people to go to extendedtrio.bandcamp.com to uh, cop the whole record. But uh, in the meantime, Brad, thanks very much for taking some time and uh, safe travels to Austin, man.
4: Uh, Mr. Michael, man, I really appreciate it, man. Thanks for the support, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a long day.
1: Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Here on Thank God It's Free Range, we just heard the latest collaboration between Iskway and Tom Wilson. It's called Stir the Ashes, and uh, more to come from the duo. Great stuff. Before the break, we heard Extended with Prominent Randy off of Without Notice. And if you're listening right now, uh, they are at Monks in Austin, Texas, but there is a live stream. And if you go to umfm.com and go to the show description for this episode, uh, there's a link to the uh, the performance if you liked what you heard from that trio. Up next, am going to wrap things up with a great set of music before we things, hand things off to After 8 Radio. Our old friend Greg Giesbrecht, recording under the name Uncle Greg. I believe he recorded Iskwe's Juno winner, uh, if I'm not mistaken as well, uh, Um But, yeah, he's got a new single called What's the Point. We've got a new single from Jamie Drake. We had played Easy Target when I first got it and still one of my songs of the summer. Uh, But this next track is called Letting Go Feels Like Dying, another great track from that full-length album that's out today. New single from J-Rock called Dancing with the Best. Eric Hilton, one half of Thievery Corporation, has a new dub cut out called the joyous revolution and from one of my favorite labels brownswood recordings coco Roco with we give thanks i give thanks to you for tuning in i'll be back next friday in the meantime monday morning on turning pages the book show that i do cadence weapon roly pemberton talking about his new memoir bedroom rapper uh, it's monday morning here on umfm but stick around all weekend have a great one there in the
4: transmitter. Give me that nighttime pass.
3: The revolution is coming and you better get ready.